You're listening to Kiss My Aesthetic, your go-to podcast for bragworthy branding, marketing, and entrepreneurship advice. I'm your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co. Let's dive into the episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I'm so excited to have Whitney on the podcast today. Welcome, Whitney. Thank you. Hello. Oh my gosh. We already are going to have so much to talk about because within two minutes of getting on the call, we both connected over Italy. (laughs) And I did such a deep dive on your socials, and I realized that we have very similar lifestyle aspirations. So I'm really excited to chat with you, get to know all about what you do, who you help, and give everybody kind of insight into what you do best. So without further ado, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and who you help? Love it. And yes, Italy is the most fabulous place, of course. Of course, we're going to spend time talking about that. So I'm Whitney Alexandra. I'm a performance coach. I work with top women entrepreneurs. I've been working with business leaders for the last 20 years, mostly in the online space, but I love women entrepreneurs, anything we can do to help them make more money and live a life that they really love. I love that part of it because I talk about this with my team all the time. Like we're here to build a lifestyle and work that supports lifestyle and not life that supports work. So it's interesting because it's like, I think there's a lot of pressure in the online space to kind of build your empire, right? Or build your legacy brand, which is totally valid. But I think now we're having so much more conversation towards lifestyle-based work, which I know that you preach well, and you preach it a lot as well on your social media. So tell us kind of run the gamut through who you work with and how you even got started doing what you're doing. Yeah. And you know, the lifestyle piece is so big. Like I preach it and I live it. So you will see me down you know, you'll see me in Italy, you'll see me in Europe, you'll see me somewhere warm for the winter because I've retired from those. But yeah, I started working with business leaders about 20 years ago. And I just sort of got thrown into like helping them build their businesses and helping, you know, that general sort of accountability piece of things. And then it was about 10 years ago that I really started working with entrepreneurs and really fell in love with seeing the impact of what performance coaching and just coaching in general can do for an entrepreneur and their business. How do you define performance coaching exactly? Like what's your protocol or your secret sauce for deciding? Because it's different than strategy. It's different than I would say probably mindset, although there's probably mindset work in there. Yeah. How do you define performance coaching? For me, performance coaching is like you tell me what that big goal, big vision is. And then we're making sure that the strategy and your mindset and the roadmap to get there all mesh together. Then it's the accountability piece of making sure that we're hitting milestones, making sure that things are achievable and that we're still really going towards the goal. So I think, like you said, it is different than a traditional business coach in that I'm not just saying, here's my strategy, now implement it. It's really looking at each individual and their own personal aspirations and things that they love and making sure that they're getting the maximum value and desire out of their business. That's so needed. I'm very much like resonate with that idea of like being that person that it's logical to think that you're going to eventually get to the end of your like knowledge rope. You're eventually going to get to the top of what you can know and what you have the time to figure out on the internet for free. (laughs) And I say this all the time, right? Like anything that you want to learn does probably already exist on the internet for free. 
But then it gets to a point where I think it's hard to know what moves, what decisions to make. Like my parents are self-employed, but they work together. So they have kind of this partnership of like being able to lean on each other and know someone who knows the interworkings of their business. And they have that dynamic. And I think when you're going about it solo, it's totally different. So I've definitely hired like mentors and coaches and things like that to kind of get myself out of what I just don't know. Do you feel like that's really similar to a lot of your clients' experiences or are they starting from a different starting point? No, I would say that that is very similar. It is that like thought partnership. I think also this especially happens when you've been in business for a few years, right? So at three to five mark or five plus years, you're saying like, okay, just let's do what we normally do, but just a little bit more or make a little bit more. And so it can become so easy to fall into this place of like incremental upgrades rather than really holistically looking at your business and seeing like, is this what I want? And is this what I'm capable of doing? And so I think what's nice having someone like me as a performance coach is there's that tension between what I know is possible for you and what you might not even believe is possible for you yet. And so there's a really healthy tension and some awesome results that come out of that. Yeah. Can you give us an example of a client you've worked with recently and share as much detail as you like where you really helped them get from point A to where they are now and like work through the things that maybe they couldn't see for themselves? Yeah. And, you know, it changes with every client. So I can think of one client that was in a place just thinking about the sales that they were doing as sort of one off, one off, one off. And they were great at selling. But when you really looked at holistically what they were selling, what they were building their business up to, they were having great success in a month. They were selling, you know, $50,000, $100,000 in a month. But the mindset was like, oh, here's a little sale and here's a little sale. So it was sort of that mindset that was chipping away where they should have felt very prosperous in what they were able to build as part of their business. And so some of it was just reframing that. But we get all kinds. I have so many different clients that I can think of where they come with what they believe is possible. And we're able to say, let's look at the strategy, look at what you love doing, and just do more of the things that you love. Because so often we think like, okay, well, this is where most of my money has been made, or this is where easy sales are. And then you don't realize you're actually spending like 10 times more effort or 10 times more hours to deliver something than maybe that other offer that's, you know, priced a little differently, but it would be so much faster, or maybe you could deliver it in a group program. So that's really where like, you know, we sort of blow the doors off as far as what's possible and financially what can also be possible for your business. I think entrepreneurs struggle from this a lot because what you did to get to where you are isn't often what you need to do to get to where you're going. That sounded like a Dr. Seuss puzzle, but what you've done like for myself, right? Like, so what I've done up until next year is going to be year 10 in my business for the first six, seven years, I was 100% solo, like just me, just graphic design, just branding. And I was working my butt off, but I was capped at what I could do. And I was also bogged down by all the things I didn't like doing. And so I hated sending proposals because it just felt like 
ah, uh, you got to pull it together. There were so many like emotions wrapped up in it. Am I pricing it right? Is the client going to go for it? I got to pull all these work samples. And it was something that absolutely bogged me down. And it was such a pivotal part of the process. As soon as I hired someone to do that portion, I was like, whoa, this is great. Because now I can get on the discovery call, have a great call with the clients, fire off my notes to Cody, and we can get a proposal sent out within 48 hours. Like, I can't even describe how much of a mental load that took off of me. And it was it felt like one of those things that I couldn't outsource. But then sure enough, like I found somebody that that is her whole deal. That is the thing that she loves to do. And she gets so fired up about it. And she's proactive about it. I talked about this on an earlier episode. She's proactive about it in that now she's created a spreadsheet of a heat map of my effort for a project to make sure sending start dates that don't conflict with when the heavy lift design day is going to be for a project that we already have in the pipeline. And I'm like, I would have never thought to do this. I'm always like, oh, well, first of the month. Like, I'm never going to start a project. If you call me for a discovery call today, I'm not going to start it tomorrow. But I'm always like, oh, the first of the month, like, sure. And wasn't even thinking about, well, Michelle, you have this commitment then, and you've already told this client you're doing this, and then it's the holidays, and then da, 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 da. Like, she just has a different brain than I do. And I'm so thankful to her for knowing that. But can you think of other roadblocks that your clients have hit where you just like kind of gave them maybe not a solution that was flipping a light switch, but you saw a shift in them where they're like, oh, I didn't even think that there was going to be someone out there that wanted to do that. Yeah. Well, you hit it on the head and congrats to you because most entrepreneurs believe that no one can do their business as good as them, right? Or that one thing. And it's almost never the case, but we're so like adamant, like, no, I've got this special thing that I do and it's only me. And so it often comes back to team. And it often comes back to like making sure that you're staying in your zone of genius and allowing other people to also stay in theirs. And that's really where everyone has that light switch moment of like, wow, you mean I just get to do the things that I love? And I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, we feel like I spent so much time hustling in this grit and whatever that I've just got to make it happen. And that's not true. It's like that opportunity to redefine how does it feel in my business? How do I want to feel when I show up? And the things that I can spend my time on that are most valuable. Yeah. Can you talk to us about the difference between like the glory and the grit and the hustle culture of feeling like you have to do all the things as a business owner to like what's on the other side of that coin? I think I'm watching my sister do this. She's a wedding planner. She is the one that I travel with to Italy back and forth all the time because I'm helping her with these destination weddings. And I keep telling her, I was like, you've got to hire an assistant because you need to stay doing what you do really well. But there's plenty of work that you do that is just using so much of your gas in your tank, your mental energy, when you could be dedicated towards doing the thing that you do really, really well. And her answer back to that, she's like, well, I can't afford to hire an assistant. And I'm like, gosh, this is such a chicken in the egg argument, right? Because we end up in this cycle. I'm like, well, if you had an assistant, then you wouldn't be doing the lower pay grade tasks and you could go do the higher pay grade tasks. And we just end up going back and forth with that. I've got to imagine this is something that you help people with. Always. <laughs> what is your best advice to the person who's like, well, number one, there's a lot of glory and pride for me in the hard work. And number two, that they don't feel comfortable. They don't feel that they can afford to bring on somebody to help them. I think the glory and the pride in the hard work and the hustle and that sort of like burnout culture is really just a disguised money block. Yeah, that's fair. Like 
I'm from the Midwest and we know, okay, I got to work hard for my money or I worked hard. Therefore, it's okay for me to receive this money. And so usually there's a money block there that we would uncover. There's some sort of resistance to making more, what it means to make more. But generally, you should not be exhausted in your business. And if she's having continued success where she's got weddings, she's got more clients coming in, she's got great word of mouth, then at some point you have to bridge that gap and bring someone on. And I think, you know, the easiest way to think about it is bringing someone on for like five hours a week or 10 hours a month or whatever it is that can just help you start to take little bits of things, just like you did. Take something that you hate doing or is a lower level sort of task. And it doesn't have to be a big commitment because I think people get to this place where they feel like it needs to be all me or half of my salary goes to somebody else. And that's not it. It doesn't need to be just one or the other. You can find some nice balance. You can use a contractor. There are all types of arrangements. And so I think it's that willingness to see things differently and also to go back to that big vision. So what do you have in mind? Because I can't imagine that when she started her business, this is like the dream. And that's where we get stuck is like, this is not the dream. So how do I make a bit of a leap? And it's going to be like a staircase of investments or something like that to get to the next place. I like what you said about money block. And I think there's also for a lot of entrepreneurs, like kind of a guilt block. There's this perception that as a business owner, and I think this is like kind of remnants of girl boss culture that's still sneaking around, right? It's the Tim Ferriss four hour work week that like, there's no way to build a business, a super crazy profitable business without exploitation. And I don't think that I agree, right? Like, I think you can still run a company and a culture where people are fairly compensated for what they do. And as the entrepreneur, you can create the lifestyle that you want. I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive. And I think you probably agree. But talk to me a little bit about what you've noticed, just like even being as a business owner in the online space, maybe some of the things that drive you nuts about the space and some of the things that you've adopted that have really stuck that you think like, no, this is something really positive that happened with the workforce that is, you know, here to stay and has transformed people's lives. One thing that drives me nuts, you already touched on it. It's like, oh, I have this wildly successful business and I only work four hours a week and I'm brand new and I make a hundred million dollars every month. That is not real, (laughs) you know? And it's hard when that's what you're judging your business with that lens of like four hours and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I have clients that work, let's call it 20 hours a week. And that is their desired amount of time to work. There's going to be a period of time where like, they're going to have to make a change because they've got limited hours. They've got to make a change if they want to continue scaling, but that time is not now. And so I think for every entrepreneur, it's like looking at that time investment and thinking like, realistically, realistically, is that how I want to spend my time? Mm -hmm. And so that is one that drives me wild, for sure. What are the things that you've noticed in your industry or in the online entrepreneurship space in the last, let's call it like even the last 10 years since you started, that you're like, okay, yes, this is what I'm talking about. Like, I know that things are going in a good direction. I think good direction-wise, the flexibility we've found, I don't want to call it balance, but that I talk a lot about desire. 
you know, what do you want and having a voice and being able to create the thing that you really want to bring to the world. I think that that is such a powerful shift that we've seen. We've seen like businesses with purpose. And that wasn't something that we had in this space like 10 years ago. It was more like, what will people buy? What can I sell? What skills do I have? And so I think we've seen a really great shift with a whole lot of heart and some really great missions behind them doing purpose-led, purposeful work. Yeah. And that you can be aligned with your morals and your values and your business. Capitalism, I think, is a bit of a broken system, but it's also like it's what's afforded me to get to where I am. So like you can still do that. And I think that being an entrepreneur in itself is kind of a little bit of an active rebellion. I started my business in college. I never had a full-time job. I never submitted a resume and I never went on an interview. So I'm definitely probably the minority in this, but I feel like there is, it does feel a little rebellious and a little punk rock is not the right term, but you know what I mean? It just feels a little punkish to be like, yeah, no, I didn't conform to that. And I got lucky, but I also worked my butt off. And I think that it's interesting to kind of see that because I think your role as a business owner, you also get to dictate how you want to see the world. So you get to hire the kind of people that you want to work with. You get to support the kind of causes you want to work with. You get to work on the kind of client work that you want to work with. That doesn't mean that all of it is 100% a perfect fit all the time. But I think there's a lot more freedom in that than working in a corporate structure sometimes where you really don't have a lot of say. And I think I see my friends who have corporate jobs struggle with this a lot. Do you notice that as well? Absolutely. Even when you've got clients that are transitioning from, you know, that nine to five job into their own, there's still some of that mindset that needs to be rewired where it's like, oh, I have to work from nine to five and I work Monday to Friday. No, you don't. Right. And so there is a lot of pattern breaking that can come out of a result of even if you haven't worked in corporate for years. I still find myself some days I'm like, got to get to the office. It's 10 a.m. And I catch myself thinking, yeah, but why? You're the only one in the office today. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's the thing, too, of like if you're on a creative idea and you're on a creative flow, like I don't mind waking up on a Saturday morning and getting my work done because it's growing up. We used to call it like, what are you going to give up to get? Like, I'm going to maybe give up a few of my Saturdays, but I'm going to have every day I'm going to my brain turns to mush at about 2.30. So I'm going to walk my dog. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to hit Trader Joe's before everybody gets off work and come back. And then, yeah, I work from seven to nine, but that works better for my brain. So I think that that ultimate flexibility is what's always drawn me to this kind of lifestyle. But what are some of the tenants or like the core things of your lifestyle where like, these are my non-negotiables. Like I will always do this and I'm never going to do this other thing. I call them fabulous Fridays. Love that. And so Friday is the day that I preach to every client and you'll see me on social going wild every Friday. And so fabulous Fridays are a day when you are meant to live as your future self. Mm, I like this idea. Yeah. So when you think about it, how many of us set big goals, we've got a big vision. And then Monday to Friday or Monday to Sunday, we're just doing the same things we normally do. Right. And so I started Fabulous Fridays as a way where you could step into the future, you do something for her or him or whoever, and really live like that person. And the result is that what you were hoping to attract and what you're building towards, you attracted that much faster. And 
It also, for me, again, money blocks. We go back to, I have to work really hard to make money. And so Fridays were a day where I don't work. My job is to be fabulous. And I can't even tell you the number of clients I've got because of that, jobs that come in on a Friday, people who want to have a call on Friday and hire me because they're like, I need more of this, a dedicated day to be your future self. We'll walk the walk and talk the talk, right? Like it's just the kind of physical manifestation. I love this idea. This is how I felt last week, like sitting in Italy. I was working, but I was working with like a view of the ocean and a huge church. And I had had a gelato and I was like, this is my life that I'm supposed to live. Like for sure. Like oh, all your cells just like feel alive. So talk us through like some of your favorite fabulous Fridays and like, what are the things that you do for yourself? Maybe give some people some ideas. I love this question. So also Italy, right? Because I'm like, okay, what is the fabulous Friday version of being in Paris? Maybe it's going to the Four Seasons and a beautiful like meal or shopping somewhere that you would. And it's not all shopping and meals and things like that. Sometimes it's, you know, I have a junior best friend. She's my friend's daughter. She's eight. And so getting to spend a fabulous Friday with her and going for lunch and just cruising through the mall, that's also a fabulous Friday. And so it can be as much, especially as entrepreneurs, we are not good at taking care of ourselves. So fabulous Fridays have a lot to do with self-care, recharging, or sometimes I find myself like working on a really strategic project that's going to add a lot of value really help get my business to the next level. And so I don't feel bad spending my Friday doing that because that is fabulous. Finding another income stream or doing something that's really going to help me get to the next level. Love it. Yeah, I think we have to also give space for ourselves to be creative and be observant, right? And like go and do like, yes, be in the rooms, be in the lobbies and the restaurants and the places of the people that are where you want to go because you have to see it exemplified, put yourself there, right? So I definitely believe in that. But then I think too, like giving yourself room to play. Like I love long haul flights and I purposefully don't buy the internet because I can sit here and use Adobe Illustrator on my computer and actually just spend the whole time not looking at other inspo, not looking at what my competitors are doing, not getting bogged down in an email train, but like really actually focus on the design of something and get back to the roots of how I know that designs come together. And I don't spend eight hours on something all that often. Like it's so nice to get that just like creative, deep work, especially now with everyone's attention spans being as short as they are. And then also being on a flight, you're like, I'm unreachable. Don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one can talk to me. I'm on a flight. Nobody can talk to me, which is so fun, right? So that could be your own version of it too. Yeah, no, I love this fabulous Friday idea. And then I'm sure it gets you so much more excited to hit the ground running on Monday. Absolutely. It's also just from an organization perspective, like what you were talking about with all the distractions, it's called context switching. And so we lose all of that energy when we're going from project to project. And it just doesn't make us efficient. So having like a great CEO calendar. And so now I know, okay, any of those personal appointments, they're on Fridays and they have their place. It's not trying to slot me in after everything else that I do. Right. No, that's super, super important. I I have a podcast episode from like way back when I first started this podcast. That's like how I batch my week. 
because I'm much more of like a day on day off person than like in the mornings I do this in the afternoon I do that. There's too many variables in that. So for me, like Monday, I'm not taking any client calls on Mondays ever. Like that's just not going to happen. Those are for team calls. Those are for checking in. Those are for following up on things that's, you know, started on Friday and making sure that they get finished. And then Tuesday, Thursdays are call days because I find it's really hard for me to switch my brain from being on calls to being in a creative design space, like that deep work space, which then leaves Wednesdays completely blocked off for design. It's like, that is where I got to focus in and get my stuff done. So it creates this really nice rhythm and balance. And I think that that was something that even the Facebook group was like, I never thought of it this way. I just always do the work immediately when someone asks for it. So I think the other way you can really level up too is about setting boundaries and communicating the boundaries and having good communication, not only with your team, but on the client side. And that goes with the outsourcing as well and scaling. How do you help people work through communication issues or like boundaries issues within their business to then avoid burnout? Because I feel like the two are very related. Yeah, absolutely they are. You know, we talk a lot about, we work through what are the self-sabotages because we all know. So like part of the work that we do together is how do we get inside your brain and figure out how are you going to try and dodge this? What is the excuse you're going to use? What is the sabotage that usually happens when you're in this place? And so, you know, they know themselves best. And so we just work through, okay, this is how I would typically sabotage. I would typically take on more work. And so I couldn't have a Friday off or I couldn't do this really important task or whatever. And so a lot of it is planning, but it's just as important to talk about like, what are you missing out on and what is your reward for doing it? And so we put a lot of that stuff. I do like 90 day plans with all of my clients. And so the self-sabotages are in there and we kind of work around them. And then we also identify like, what are you going to miss out on? if you can't keep this boundary or if you let it slip or something like that. And what do you get as a reward for keeping it? And typically that's like most of them are family, people, mothers, fathers. So it's usually like more time with your family or time away from them. And so when you really like put it out there, they're like, okay, I need to keep this boundary. Absolutely. And I think that it's healthy to have that as well, right? Like you can only do your best work when you are supported, but you've also, when you've created systems, there's a saying that's like miscommunication breeds future resentment. So basically saying like you not being forthcoming with information, you're just creating an opportunity for you to begrudge the project down the road. I think we've all been there. You've taken on something that you're like, I just felt really squished to take this on and I felt a lot of pressure. And so I took a project that I wouldn't normally take and now I hate working on it. Like everyone's been there regardless. That's just a very typical part of the human experience. But it's, I feel like the longer you do it, the more you start to recognize those red flags before they happen and bow out, right? And be like, you know what? This isn't a good fit. This isn't aligned. How have you done that in your business? How have you like morphed your offerings or who you've worked with or evolved on your side, being the person that helps people do this all the time? Well, I can tell you, even as the person who does it all the time, I still get those times when I'm like, oh, I have to do this thing or whatever. So it's not like I have a special skill. (laughs) (laughs) I've got the same problems as everybody else. I think for me, it's just really been spending more time doing things I love and knowing when I say yes to something that I don't love, it doesn't feel good. 
And I think when we're like sticking to that desire, what feels good, what fills me up, where do I want to spend my time? And then equally making sure that those experiences are also financially something that works well. So then it's sort of like you got some heart, you've got some of the logical part, you've got some finance tied in there. So then it really makes it difficult to say yes to something you don't want to do because there's just no reason to do it. And I think that is probably my best advice for anyone is set it up in a way that it just does not benefit you at all to say yes. I just had this happen recently. A brand, like pretty notable brand reached out to me and they wanted me to create some videos, TikTok videos for them. And at first I saw it come through and I was like, oh, amazing. And they had like a hefty budget. Like this is going to be like a couple thousands of dollars. And I was like, okay, like, yeah, great. Started down the process, had some things come up on my calendar. I was like, is this something that we can start, you know, in a month from now? They said, yes, great. Sent them the first version. There were so many edits on what they wanted me to do. And then it went from one video to three videos under the same dollar amount. And then it just became like, you can do this. You can't say that. You can do this. You cannot do that. And I'm just like, are you trusting me as the creator to execute or are you not? And then I was getting on social media and I was seeing that every single one of my competitors was working with this brand. Uh. And I was like, I don't really want to do this. <laughs> I just, it got to the point where I'm like, you know what? It's an interesting opportunity, but at the end of the day, I'm not an influencer. And like, yes, this was a hefty amount of money. And if a year ago, I had told myself that this brand was going to come forward and want to pay for me to make videos, I would have shit my pants. But I was at the point where I'm like, I've got this way bigger contract on the horizon that I need to be dedicating my mental space to that I know that this one is going to drain me to the point where the number of hours that I put in, it's not going to be worth it. And so I had to tell my team, I was like, you guys, I think I'm just going to pass. And they're like, well, do you need help? Can we help you do it? And I'm like, it doesn't feel aligned. It doesn't feel like a good fit. And although it's a brand I use literally every day, I just like, I can't, there's something about it. There's that gut feeling that's telling me that's like, no, not this time. Not now, not this time. Doesn't feel right. And so it sucks. You never want to say no to money, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially things that feel like they came to you quite easily for our point earlier. But I think it's just, it's forcing me to really double down on like, what do I want? And do I want to be in my creative zone of genius or do I want a big corporate brand to come in here and tell me how to make a video that they're going to profit on? I just didn't feel good. So I totally get that vibe. Yeah. And I think too, what you did, you cleared space for doing more of the things that you love. And so it's such a limited mindset to think like, I have to say yes to everything that comes my way. And that's something that definitely happens for newer entrepreneurs where you're like, okay, yes, yes, yes. Cause I'm in hustle and want to say yes to everything. But then you have to get to a place where it's like, okay, realistically, how much time and energy and sacrifice and all of these other things is it going to take? And is it worth it? Mm-hmm. And how much do I want to bend my process to accommodate someone else? And I think like I've worked with other brands in the past and they were just like, yeah, whatever you want we just need it to be 40 seconds and don't use any commercial music. And I was like, great. So I was able to just, you know, like get it done and bada bing, bada boom, got to like keep my brand voice. And I was excited about it. And it was an opportunity that really aligned. And so I think it's hard to know when is a yes and when is a no, but it's like a muscle. Like you get that, the more you say no, the better you get at saying it. Do you think that that's, you're nodding along? So I'm assuming that (laughs) that feels true. Absolutely. You got to practice saying no. 
And it's also, it's this thing of like, the more established you are in your business, you have to say no a lot. Yes. I think that's something that I didn't really anticipate because my big year for my business was 2020. Everyone was starting a business. Nothing was happening socially. I wasn't traveling. I did 41 brand designs that year. 41. I was doing a brand a week, just docking it out, which first of all, I was drastically underpriced. And second of all, like I just made it my full effort. And like, that's the whole personality. And then every year after that, we start doing less and less and less and less brands and less and less clients. And like, I panicked. So I was like, oh my gosh, we're getting worse. But then I realized the quality of the projects, the quality of the clients, the alignment is there. And now maybe it's not as impressive to have this huge roster, but it's more about the quality of the work that gets done on those six, seven, eight clients that year. So it's like that I feel like was a big mindset shift too. Can you talk about that like fallacy between like quantity and quality and how you talk your clients through that stuff? You know what? I'm very practical. I'm such a numbers person. And so typically like we'll go back to the numbers. Like if you like things equally, let's look at them. Like this one can scale. If you are one person doing a brand a week, you can't scale much more than that. And you probably were really tired, (laughs) but it's like, okay, what would be a great price point and the perfect number? And how much would you like to work? And I think a lot of it is reverse engineering how you want to work, how much of this you want to do, what do you want to charge? Because when you've got that much that's coming in, the volume of it, then you have a lot of freedom. I always say, when your business is booked, the price goes up. Yeah, you have to. You have to. I was always such a weenie about that. Like, Thankfully, I have family that are very entrepreneurial. And I was always telling myself that I had to hit this certain benchmark in order to raise my prices. Like, oh, well, next year I'll charge more or next quarter. And it's like, no, if you're in demand, no one is telling you you can't. It was one day I was at home and my mom was like, I was at the time was charging like $4,000 for full brand design. She's like, make it nine. And I was like, what? She's like, make it 9,000. And I was like, I can't do that. And she's like, put it on your site as 9,000. If nobody books, bring it back down. Nobody needs to know that you had to change it. She's like, but you're booked and busy. So like, start charging more. I had a discovery call that week. I said the 9,000 number, I just about shit my pants. And she was like, okay, yeah, sounds great. And I was like, are you joking? (laughs) Like the client signed up and I was like, what? My jaw dropped. And my mom's like, yeah, see? And so she was totally right. And it killed me. But I was like, dang, because nobody is, first of all, nobody's paying nearly as close attention to you as you think they are, or as you are yourself. That's the first thing. And the second thing is like, I love the game of business. Like that part is fun to me. But I think we get so much in our own head of not thinking that things are worth that nobody out there would pay for those things when they will. Which is a money block. Like, first of all, let's say go mom. That was awesome, right? Mm -hmm. And I think for anyone else who's thinking like, that's too much of a jump for me to make in whatever their numbers are. I always think like sell one. Okay, so you're selling at four at 4,000. Next one, you sell it at five. Next one, you sell it at six. Next one, you sell it at seven. And the price can continue to go up for every new person that comes in. And it sort of helps give you also the stomach to practice like saying that higher amount because it is that gulp moment of like, it's $9,000. You got to be confident, right? And I think that comes with a lot of it too, is you've got to believe in your prices, whatever they are, And be able to say them with confidence and be able to communicate the value in them. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, conversely, what do you do when someone comes to you and they say, you know, my intro service is $6,000 and no one's booking with me? Then we have an issue. What if they have the opposite problem? <laughs> yeah. How do you consult the opposite problem? Then we have an issue. I think if no one is booking, it's not to say that it's the wrong price. I think people jump to say like, it must be the price. And if it was just cheaper, no, that's not the thing. It's usually they haven't communicated the value. They haven't actually marketed their offer. Yep. They haven't pitched anyone or maybe they heard no's, but they weren't no's because of the price. They were no's for other reasons. And so a lot of it is really just identifying, is that price correct for the service that they're offering to the person they're offering? So a lot of times people are really passionate about what it is. They know the value of their coaching or their product or service. And then they get to this place where they want to serve someone who doesn't actually have the money to pay, which is not good business either. And so it's that whole equation of like, who are you serving? What are you offering? How exactly are you marketing? It really is like a lot of the strategy. Oh, and I can think of more than a dozen instances where a client came to us and they said, I really, really want to work with you, but I don't have the budget. Can you come down? And we said, no. We're like, I'm really sorry, but like these are our prices and this is the kind of clients that we're helping these days and da, da, da. I literally have a folder in my computer of all the clients that came back around six months later, 18 months later, whatever, and said, oh my gosh, I'm finally in the place now. I wish I had, you know, was ready to do it when I first talked to you. But now I know we definitely like, we need what you got. And I'm like, great, amazing. So it's just also trusting that. And I talk about this with my team every week when we run through our like inquiries and you know, who's kind of on the docket or not, who's a good lead, who's not a good lead. If there's going to be that, I'm always much more in the camp of like, I know that what we offer is quality. And I know that the results we can get our clients are going to be what they need. I don't necessarily want to be in the camp of convincing someone of that just to get the sale. I'm just kind of like, you don't need us, you want us. You don't need to only work with us. There's so many talented designers out there across all different price points, all different backgrounds, all different styles and experience levels. But if you want to work with us, I think we can do a really good job. And that has served me so well over time because it just has allowed me to stay in our zone and know that like the right things are going to come. All the stars are going to align and it's going to work out. Or that that person wasn't ready and they would have been nitpicky and like finicky about everything the whole time, which happens. Good for you. Business is so interesting in that way because I think it really makes you just super aware of people and people patterns. Is there anything that sticks out to you recently that you're like, wow, this one just really got me? And I'm like, how are people this way? <laughs> <laughs> like, can you think of something from, and maybe like either client wise or personally, where you're like, it's crazy that this is the world we live in or this is the kind of business that I have? Well, you know, I think you just touched on it. It's when you're in a place where you really want to help someone or you're prepared to like settle a little bit or you're bending some of the rules or you're not really doing the full sort of vetting process, then it never works out. Like just take it from us. It never works out. (laughs) And so it's so much better to find a five-star client, somebody who just loves you you're going to love working with them. It's so much better to invest the time and energy in meeting and working with more of those people. Yeah, absolutely. We're coming up on year end by the time we're recording this. It's almost November in two days, which is crazy. 
What are some of your end of year audit business in review? Do you have a formal process for this? Our team takes off the month of December from new client projects. So we don't ever book a new project in December because I don't want to work through the holidays. And people always are like, by Jan 1, Jan 1. I'm like, no. (laughs) So we always work on website stuff, processes, onboarding documents, like schedulers. We fix broken links, stuff like that. Do you do a similar kind of clean house at the end of the year? Or vision boarding, vision setting for the new year? Kind of walk us through some of your top tips. Yeah, I'm always doing that vision boarding, vision setting for the new year. I'm always doing it with clients. So actually, I'm heading to LA. We're hosting a big client retreat. So we'll be doing it together, which will be really fun. And so, yeah, I think for me, the biggest part is getting really clear on the vision for the future. Also understanding like, where did I have awesome success? Or where did I really love? What things did I love about this year? Do I love how I spent my time? And I use those words intentionally, love, Mm. right? Desire. It's such a different energy than like, was I happy? Yeah, it was good. That's not what we want. We don't want a business that you're like, meh about. We want something that lights you up. And so I think going through really being honest about the things to celebrate because we don't spend enough time celebrating, that's such a key part getting clear on that vision for the future. One question that I really love to work through with my clients is I hate incremental upgrades. Like I hate smart goals. I hate all of that stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Because I just think we are capable of so much more and we never really stretch our minds to think that way. And so I always challenge them. Like if you had to 10X your business next year, what would you do? Ooh. That is the thinker. Yeah. And because like you, if we think about your 2020 year, you couldn't have done 400 brand designs. No. Okay. Mm. Ooh, I love this question. Do you know what yours are? How would you 10x your year next year? I would do more of the things I love. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Spill the beans. Share, share. I think like I've got a wicked mastermind. So I would put more people in that mastermind. It's such an awesome group. I'm already going to do this, but like double my one-on-one price. So you want my time? It has to become more expensive, right? As a founder, if you're going to 10X your business or 5X or whatever, and we're just having fun with the numbers for creative purposes. But if you're going to do something big, then your time all of a sudden is valued so much higher than what you would value it at today. And your recovery and your self-care would be a hell of a lot more important. Yes. If you knew you had to perform at 10x your output, not even 10x your output, but 10x your revenue, yeah, you better get your mind right. (laughs) There's no time for dilly-dallying around. Well, and I only gave you the first part of the question. Okay, tell me the rest. The second piece is like, and now we're going to take away 20% of your time to work. Ooh, okay. So it went from hard to harder. Ooh, okay. Yes. I'm literally going to message my whole team and ask them this question after this podcast because I'm so (laughs) curious what their answers are. Wow. Okay, 20%. So that's one less day a week. That's Fabulous Fridays. One less day. That's Fabulous Fridays. And it's meant to constrain you on purpose because we can't just duplicate the same stuff we're doing. So if we were to really think differently, what would it be? How could you help more people or double an income stream or something like that. 
Or just play in a bigger pond. Totally. Like I think sometimes I talk about this with my mentors. I've kind of not exhausted because there's infinite amount of women entrepreneurs who are in this demo that are a really good fit for what we do. But I get really fired up by like being challenged. So we, our team like did all the marketing for San Diego Open. And immediately when you asked that question, I thought, oh, I would just start pitching all these tennis tournaments and be like, see what we did here? Like, see what we did here and see what we did on social? Like, we'll do that for you. And it's, I'm going to charge you twice what I charge them. That would get us there real quick. But see? And I'm like, why are we not doing that right now? <laughs> but that's exactly it. That's exactly it, Michelle. It's like, you know what to do if I give you that big question. And it might not be that you want to go pitch every tennis tournament. It might be that you're like, okay, let's do two of those, two of these other big tournaments or whatever, or something that's like similar size, but your brain is brilliant. It already knows the answer. Yeah. And it's right there. It's right there. But I think you're right. I think there's a tendency. There's like a comfortability in wanting to stay within the house that you built yourself. You're like, okay, I know this zone. I know this comfort zone. I know this. There's things I want to tweak. It's like living in a house that's not your dream house yet. And you're like, well, I'm going to wallpaper the bathroom and I'm going to fix the backsplash. And it's like, it's going to be nice and it's good and it's comfortable, but I can't. Yeah. Like thinking of your business of like, what if we just moved? Yeah. <laughs> like, what if I just moved into the nicer house that had all the things that I wanted and I wasn't like on the little things? Yes, absolutely. Because I've seen that. I've also seen that with clients where they are capable of doing really big things and they get themselves stuck on a small offer. And then the small offer isn't really going somewhere. And then their big offers kind of fall apart because they're not spending the same intention to get it done. And so it can create another problem when you find yourself filling small holes. All your focus goes to those tiny things when like, let's talk about 10x. So much sexier. Oh, I love that you left us with this one. That's such a good challenge. That's such a good thinker. I'm definitely sending this to my team as soon as this is over. Thank you so much for your time. Oh my gosh, I, we barely even talked about traveling at all. I know. Tell me about your trip this summer. At least tell me about the recap of your European summer. Well, you know, I've always had it as like part of my dream. I want to spend the summers in Italy. And so this was my first summer where I was like, I left in July. I came back in September and I was all around town. I was like Rome, Amalfi, Positano, Capri, all down the Puglia. Puglia. Oh, you're on the east side then. I was in Puglia as well. Yeah. Yeah. Puglia. And I stayed at this nice little farm estate. It was gorgeous. Everything was like so, so, so nice. Love it. I'm a big fan of that. I did the same thing my 30th birthday this year. I had two weeks for my birthday with my friends. And then I went two weeks for a friend of mine's birthday after that in Mallorca. And it was just the most fun. And I was still like getting squeezing in a little bit of work here and there. But it also was so nice to get to the point where I'm like, you know what, I've worked all of Q1 and Q2 all weekends, like was got everything squared away, finished all my responsibilities. Now it's time to just coast for a minute. And I tell my friends that too. It's like, I don't work Monday through Friday with a Saturday, Sunday weekend. I work for three months and then I take a month off <laughs> like an Uber driver, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to work really hard and then I'm going to chill. And that works so much better for me. But I think that that is the dream. It's like, figure out what works for you. Like for me, I was like working a little bit here and there, messaging with clients from the beach or the pool. And it was beautiful. I loved it. And it also, I feel like it's just fun to then not have to treat your vacation like it's your catch-all chance to relax. 
like when we were in Italy last week, it rained every morning for like three hours. And so my sister and I would just sit in our room and work. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just get ahead right now. It's not like I work so hard to take this time off to then be somewhere. And then, you know, the weather happens or you get delayed or something goes wrong. And then you feel like your trip is ruined. It was the opposite. It's like, oh, I'm going to take this little pocket of time, help my future self. And then as soon as the sun comes out, I'm out of here. Yeah. And that works really well too. Amazing. Good stuff. Well, where can everyone find you, follow you, work with you, plug yourself? This is your chance. I love it. So they can find me at WhitneyAlexandra.co. It's my website, brand new. It looks fabulous. And I'm usually hanging out on Instagram. So it's Whitney.Alexandra. And I'd love to connect with them there. Lovely. Thanks everyone for listening. And thanks so much for your time, Whitney. We'll catch you soon. And maybe I'll see you in Italy. See you then. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? It would. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to follow along and leave us a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll see you in the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group for years and years of behind the scenes content and over 5,000 connections with fellow creatives. For show notes from today's episode, please visit mkwcreative.co slash podcast. This episode was edited by Berta Wired and theme music comes from Eliza Vera and Nathan Menard. Catch you next time. Music.